Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the HVMN podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Lat Mansour, a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, and the research lead of health via modern nutrition. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review. And if you have any question, leave us a comment. And as always, we appreciate it if you can share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode of HVMN podcast. Today, we have Dave Asprey on the Health via Modern Nutrition podcast. Thank you very much for coming, Dave. I'm really happy to be here. You were just on my show. We get to talk about all the cool stuff. Yes. And um, as usual, you know, before I introduce Dave, we're going to take a shot of ketone IQ right here. Oh, you're going to make me drink this, this ketone ester stuff? No, this is not ketone ester. The ketone ester stuff that you tried were generation that, one. This that, is the new stuff. That stuff tastes like ass. Yeah, Am well, I going to be sad when I drink this? No, you won't. Because this is what we have improved and, imp- you know, both flavor and the price. All right. I'm, I'm going to drink this, but. Drink. It's, it's, I promise you, it, it's, it right. tastes significantly better. Cheers. Cheers. There you go. See? Not that bad. Of course I see. I'm just giving you a hard time. Your ketone ester, the, the 1.0, man, you had to really, really be desperate to get your ketone stuff because that stuff tasted so strong. This stuff is so mild. I actually take it every time I fly. So I was just giving you a hard time. Yeah, that's good. It's not new to me. Guys. Okay. So you've, 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 you've tasted but it. So that's it's, good. It's mild enough that I could take it and then talk with you right now. And the old stuff, you take it and you're like... You got to wait a few seconds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. It's kind of like punching yourself in the face. This stuff is, I like it. It's very usable. I, I really mean that every single time I fly, I take one every two hours. Thank you. No, and this is exactly what um, I spoke about uh, when Dave interviewed me on his show um, just last week. Yep. So, um, you know, if you guys want to check it out, we talk about the difference between ketonaster and ketone IQ. What is our butin dial? What are the differences between the use cases? Um, and also different forms of exogenous ketones uh, other than ketone and ketone like, IQ. Like the cocaine ketones were a really big innovation. Thank you for talking about those on my show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Check it out. <laughs> so just as an introduction, I'm sure Dave does not need any you know, formal introduction here. He is the founder of Upgrade Labs, and he is also known as the father of biohacking. Now, let's start with that, shall we? Why are you known as the father of biohacking? Let's walk us through your journey thus far. Sure. It, it's because I created the field of biohacking. I went through this time as a computer hacker in Silicon Valley. I weighed 300 pounds. And I was having serious cognitive dysfunction. My doctors just couldn't help me. I went to a bunch of them and they were useless. I made and lost $6 million before I was 30. So I managed to spend some money on doctors. It didn't matter. I just always felt exhausted. My career was taking off, but my health was you know, aiming towards the ground and turning on the afterburners. So I started hanging out with people three times my age who were getting younger. And these were uh, early, early anti-aging people at, at a nonprofit in Silicon Valley. Eventually, they asked me to be the chairman and president so I'm like, I get to learn from my elders, and these people have more energy than I do anyway. So I learned all these crazy things I thought were impossible. And then I started sharing them with other people. I eventually said, you know, I'm going to find a name for this. And I had this dream. I'm going to take the bodybuilding community. And these guys are great biohackers. I mean, they, they're all about, I'm going to take control of my biology. But I wanted neuroscientists, because I was also hacking my brain with the electricity. 
And I wanted my anti-aging friends in there. And I realized we were united by one thing. And it was a desire to control our biology. It wasn't even about personal development, although that's a part of it. It was like, why? When I want to turn on my brain, will it not turn on? Why, when I want to have pants that fit, do they not fit? Like, what's going on here? And that brought all this together. What I did is I, I went on a three-month sabbatical, and I wanted to learn meditation from the masters in Tibet and Nepal. So I traveled there, and I just thought about it for three months. I thought, what is the right name? It's not health, because frankly, I don't really want health. I want something so much more than health that health is like table stakes and boring. I don't want to be average health. Interesting. I, I want to actually have superpowers. I want laser eyeballs. It might take me a while to get there. I might not get there, but I still want it. But I don't wake up in the morning going, ah, today, I just want to be average. Because that's what health is. Uh, I, today, I want to be way, way better than that. I don't want to meditate on being enough. I want to meditate on being so much more than enough that I can change the world and have a party when I'm done like that. And I think I'm not alone in that. Right. So I started learning the stuff and I did lose my hundred pounds and I did have to create a new dietary structure that has helped people lose 2 million pounds since then. But I didn't trademark the name biohacking because I wanted it to be a global movement. So we would have a name for, for us. I started a conference, um, back in, I think 2010 or 20, probably 2011. And it was the first ever biohacking conference and a hundred people showed up, including a couple influencers who immediately branded themselves as biohackers and copied every single blog post on my, on my <laughs> There you go. As will happen. And at this event, we used the electricity to shock ourselves and we had all these speakers about this crazy stuff. And the next year it was a thousand uh, and it kept growing from there and growing and growing this year biohackingconference.com we're expecting up to 5,000 people in June in Florida all vendors all the toys for changing your state all together and part of that state is certainly changing your your nutrient availability the type of nutrients I feel like I should be speaking at that conference um, gonna, <laughs> I'll hook you up with my conference team I mean I have a whole team this is a, a major event um, that I mean 5,000 people is very meaningful and we have hundreds of vendors um, and you can go and you can talk to the founders and they're like right there and you get to like touch and feel and play and then meet with all these people who care about being more than average and it just it feels very different i did this uh, and i made it cool and, and i did it in a language that was written for silicon valley tech entrepreneurs because that's what i was and no one ever talked to me I, i'm not I don't want to be a balloon animal. I don't want to get swole. And if you're listening to this and you're that, dude, that's cool. And like, I actually respect your ability to do that. Uh, I, I'm running around 8% body fat now and <laughs> my bone density is probably higher than yours. <laughs> and I carry enough muscle that I think I'm at the longevity angle where you don't want too much, but you don't want too little. And I'm constantly playing. Uh, my, my biological age is 11 and a quarter years younger than my chronological age. Mm -hmm. My, my brain speed is that of an 18-year-old, and it's called a P300D as a measure instead of that of someone who's way more than 18, and it typically declines over time. My arterial flexibility is that of a 24-year-old, mm -hmm. less than half my age, my my chronological age, which I don't even identify with. Because we live in a world where you can identify as whatever you want, 
So I identify as 27% of my minimum effective lifespan. Interesting. So, okay, let's unpack this a little bit. You, you mentioned you went to meditate and all that, and you went on a journey, and you managed to lose your 100 pounds. What was the key measure, well, what was the key effort that made you lose that weight? Was it, was it just exercise? Was it diet? Was it mental? Uh-huh. Was it perspective change? What was it? Let me talk about uh, the new book. I just I'm in the middle of publishing it's, it yeah, right now. That was that's the, the part of that. one of the main um, conversation in sure. uh, today's you know discussion. Actually, um, that's okay. Dave's new book. So and, and it's to answer your question about how I did that. Yeah. So the book is called Smarter Not Harder, and one of the first things I did is I said, "All right, I'm in my early 20s. I weigh 300 pounds. I've had two knee surgeries. I don't want another knee surgery." So the most important thing in my life is going to be exercise and diet. And I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to put all of my effort behind it. Ahead of dating. And if you've ever tried dating in your early 20s, that's kind of important. Uh, Ahead of uh, studies, ahead of career, ahead of friends, it didn't matter. Like if I was sick, if I was in the hospital, I was going to go to the gym. And I did. I did 90 minutes a day, six days a week. Half weights, half cardio. The cardio was 15% incline, wearing a weighted pack, walking as fast as I could for 45 minutes. And the weights, I got to the point after 18 months where I could max out all but two of the machines at the gym. And the two I was close to maxing, but my shoulders don't like overhead press. So, you'd think I would be a wall of muscle, right? I still had a 46-inch waist. I was still fat. I still weighed 300 pounds. I was strong, but I was fat. And I was sitting at Carl's Jr. with my friends. And they're all thin. And they're eating double Western bacon cheeseburgers with fries. And I'm like, I'll have the chicken salad, no dressing. Oh, and no chicken because chicken's just too many calories. Like, like I'm really trying to cut my calories. And I'm hungry all the time, like gnawing hunger and eating, uh, like chewing on that, that NutraSweet aspartame gum. Like, because like, at least there's something in there, like the gnawing hunger, drinking ice water. Well, I thought to myself, I must be eating too much lettuce. Okay. I'm not trying hard enough. Because this is what they tell you. This is those mean calorie trolls, they're still out there. Calories in, calories out. You can cancel out a Snickers bar with a diet soda. They have no clue how biology works. So finally, I reached the point where I had to acknowledge this isn't working. And I said, I'm going to do what works. So I wrote Smarter Not Harder in part because I wasted 702 hours of my life in the gym and I didn't get the results I wanted. And it's because I had some false assumptions about how biology works that most of us share. So in Smarter Not Harder, I introduce the concept of slope of the curve biology, which sounds quite academic. Uh, and it is on some level, but it's easy to understand. And we like to believe, because uh, of just an intellectual shortcut that our, our bodies will make for us to save energy in our thoughts, we like to believe that doing more of something makes us stronger. It's a very simple thing. It's just wrong. If something is good <clears throat> for you, then surely if I do more of that thing, yeah. it would be better, even better for you. Right. Um, and that's one thing we talk about quite a lot on this show where when it comes to biology, when it comes to metabolism, when it comes to human physiology, we are not looking at more is better. We're looking at the Goldilocks zone, which is the optimal level at pH, temperature, all of these environments need to be in an optimal range for our bodies to perform optimally but yeah sorry. if you were to to think like a calories in calories out troll they'd be like uh 
heat good for you. So they would go sit in a blast furnace until they were burned into a crisp because there's just massive intellectual uh, black holes and blind spots in what, in what they're representing. So what slope of the curve biology says is that it's not area under the curve. It's not the amount of effort that causes biological change effectively. It's actually the slope of the curve up and very importantly, the slope of the curve down. So that if you can turn a signal on, and I talk about five different areas where you might want to apply hacks in your life with, with slope of the curve hacks. And if you can turn it on really quickly, but then turn it off really quickly, then you get rapid adaptation. But if you turn it on really quickly, like you sprint for a minute and then you go, well, I'm strong. I'm just going to run at 70% of what I can do for a long period of time. It's going to kick your ass. And then your body is going to be sort of stunned and go, well, okay, I'll adapt to that at some point, but first I got to recover, mm. right? So one of the examples in the book is a type of AI-driven uh, cardio training that we do at Upgrade Labs. Upgrade Labs is my biohacking lab. I started eight years ago under Arnold Schwarzenegger's office. We're opening franchises across the country. Go to ownandupgradelabs.com. And you could have one in your neighborhood. But the idea is we've got all the tech. I talk about the tech and many, many non-tech things in the book. But with this technology, if you do five minutes of exercise that doesn't require any sweat and isn't even hard, three times a week to get that slope of the curve signal into the body, you will get in about six to eight weeks about a 12% improvement in VO2 max. That is astounding. And if you were to instead go to a spin class where someone's going to like wear spandex and yell at you while you sweat for 45 minutes, you do that five days a week, you will see a 2% improvement. So you're getting six times more improvement in a tiny fraction of the time. And no one had to yell at you while you were sweating. So I think this is worthy of people's time and effort and consideration. And the reason for that is that it's one where you intentionally lower your respiratory rate. Then you full on out for 10 seconds and then, and this is the trick, as fast and as gently as possible, return to baseline. And the body's like, oh, sometimes I'm gonna come right to the edge of disequilibrium, right to the edge of breaking, but I'm not gonna break, but then I'm safe afterwards and I have so much energy now, why don't I apply that energy to fixing it? Versus burning all the energy up on something because, well, I wanted to you know, grunt a lot and it's really important to sweat. <clears throat> so it's an example of the tech. But there's two other concepts in the book that I think your listeners would really, really love. <clears throat> One of them is I bring in this idea of a meat operating system. So your tissues have their own desires and their own behaviors entirely separate and invisible uh, to you, or separate from and invisible to you. So when I snap my fingers, almost no lag time just the speed of sound you hear that right mm -hmm. that's totally not true there is for the average person about a third of a second between when a sound happens and when your brain gets the first electrical signal of the sound it's called p300d and then after that you think about the sound for some amount of time then you decide what it is and run a, a pattern recognition against any oh that was the sound of snapping fingers now you and me, it feels like there's no lag time in reality. Correct. But there is. It's provable. And it gets longer with age. My lag time is still a quarter second like an 18-year-old because my brain is, is hacked. And the average person every year gets a little bit slower, a little bit slower. And by the time you're 
you know, in your upper 80s, if you haven't taken care of yourself, it might even be, you know, 400 milliseconds. Uh, you know, that's almost a half a second. And that's a sign that you're getting cognitive dementia and that your brain is really starting to fail. So why is it invisible and who made it invisible? Well, there's another consciousness in that meat suit of ours. And it's designed to take away things that don't matter in the environment around us so we don't have to see them. It's also, and you probably know this from your studies, in the middle of each eye, right in the center, there's a, a dime-sized piece of reality you can't see, a blind spot that's there. Totally invisible. It's edited out of your reality by an automated system that is part of you that you don't control. Well, what else does the automated system do? Well, it does all sorts of stuff, and it does it all before we can think, and it's all invisible by design because it's part of the elegant way we interface with reality. We don't actually see even a tiny fraction of reality, even with all of our senses. We see an, uh, a picture of reality, just like when you look at a map. You don't see Los Angeles. You see a picture of Los Angeles because if you saw all of Los Angeles, why would you need the map? So we're having a tiny sliver of reality, and our operating system decides what inputs it's going to allow us to see. But we get to decide what inputs it gets that cause it to adapt automatically. Okay. And so that's a very important part of biohacking. We're playing with our operating system even though we're sitting on top of it, even though it can control what we see. And one of the most precious things the operating system does for us that's driven our success as a species is something that all species do, but particularly humans. It's... It makes us lazy. Mm -hmm. And it makes us lazy for a strategic reason. Because we might run out of food. And if you waste food by doing things that require more energy, you know, like exercise for no good reason, there's no tiger chasing you while you're running. If you do that, we might run out of food and then you might die. And it's really, really worried a tiger's going to eat you or you're going to starve. So what it does is it instills an outsized uh, benefit. So it feels good to be lazy. And, and that's just to keep you alive. Your body has no clue that you're in there. It doesn't even like it that you're in there. Your body's like, let me run this. I got this. Like, what you thought? You want me to pay attention? No. Like, let's pay attention to the ice cream because there's lots of calories in there. And let's pay attention to the couch because it requires the least amount of energy. And then as good humans, we, well, I have grit and I built habits and I overcome my inherent laziness, which makes me a good person. Well, yeah, you can do that. I also have lots of studies that show your meat operating system is what controls mitochondrial function, which gives you the electricity that powers your willpower. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to use willpower to overcome your meat operating system, it will just turn off the lights. You're not going to win over time. And there are many, many studies that show that willpower fatigue is a real thing. So you could say, well, that's it. I'm an athlete. I worked up my willpower. I've got more willpower than everyone else on the planet. I'm so tough. I wake up at 4 a.m., Good for you. It's just taking a lot of your life to do that. And I would like to spend that time with my kids. Right, right. So laziness is what drives innovation. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge our sponsors of this show, Ketone IQ, the best exogenous ketone you can take to elevate your blood ketone levels. I personally take it every day before a podcast to wire my brain up, before and after my workout to really feel my body. So give yourself a chance, take a shot, and you will feel the difference within minutes. So head over to hvmn.com and use the code HVMNPOD20, that is HVMNPOD20, for 20% off your purchase and enjoy your Ketone IQ 
and give your brain the perfect fuel. I mean, that that makes sense from a biological point of view. We always go for the path with least resistance because our bodies, our cells, would generally prefer um, less resistance. It will prefer a more efficient way to either produce energy or use energy. And that is why we at HVMN, we talk about exogenous ketones, we talk about ketones as an energy source and as a signaling molecule because it's much more efficient than the other substrates, i.e. like sugar or fats. And we have seen in studies as well that the brain and the, the heart would prefer, glu- uh, prefer ketones when they are available, showing that, like you said, you know, whether we're conscious or not, these organs will take up ketones when they're available because they're more efficient because they are less, least resistant. Now, you have given us a lot of information there. I'm going to start with the beginning first, when you talked about um, the upgrade labs and you talk about, you know, low, sort of high intensity, but low frequency so that your body can go up to the brink of being broken, but quickly come down and recover. So does that mean that, to reaffirm that, is that the key to success there is essentially... The intensity, yes, but also the frequency or the length, the period of time at which you are operating at high intensity. Is that the key? There's, it, it turns out the duration of time uh, in those area under the curve is not particularly useful in most of the, the hacks that are here. What's most important is, so that would be in math, that's the integral, the area under the curve. What's most important is the derivative or the angle of the curve. So how fast could you turn it on and, and this is something that's just not written about anywhere. How fast can you turn it off? And the metabolically healthiest things you'll see out there are animals on the savanna. And you'll see this if you watch one of those YouTube you know, lions, almost ate me tiger, uh, lions and Tigers Almost Ate Me channels. And you'll see a predator chases a, a zebra or something. Mm-hmm. And if it gets away, as soon as things are done, it looks around and the whole thing goes, it just shakes and it's dropping adrenal hormones there, and then it eats grass, and it's done. Okay, that is a perfect slope of the curve workout, right? And it was the fact that it returned back to baseline, like nothing happened. Yeah, like nothing happened. With humans, we don't do that unless we do it specifically using the hacks that are in Smarter Not Harder. And what usually ends up happening there is we don't run as fast as we could because we don't need to. Mm-hmm. And then after we run as fast as we could, we don't recover fully. We try to, because more is better, we try to, well, I'll just you know ride at 50% power or I'll go lift some heavy stuff or something like that. And it turns out that interferes greatly with the signal. So what I'm saying is slope up and slope down matters far more than duration. Another couple variables that I talk about in the book, it also matters when you do it. So there's a circadian component, you know, doing heavy lifting high-intensity intervals at 3 in the morning actually doesn't work very well. I think we all kind of intuitively know that, but there's science behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also how many times should you do it. Mm-hmm. And that usually requires uh, university studies and algorithmic things. And people may say, well, Dave, you're just desc- describing high-intensity interval training. Actually, no, I'm not. And I've been a fan of, and I've, I've talked about high-intensity interval training for the last 12 years. I was a very early voice about this just being more effective. This is way more effective than it. It's called reduced exertion, high intensity training. And uh, it, it's very, very strange, but the intensity matters way more than the exertion. 
And it just is counterintuitive. But that's just one example. In the book, I talk about these five domains. So I, about eight years ago, I started Upgrade Labs. Mm -hmm. And this is underneath Arnold Schwarzenegger's office in Santa Monica. So lots of celebrities and famous people come there and, and we help them with biohacking. So over time, I, I realized people come and say, I want to be healthy. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you that. What does healthy mean to you? Quality of life, not having any debilitating diseases, um, feel good. So that's a subjective feel. Um, and perform at a optimal level, how my body should be performing at my age with my demographics. Got it. So if you were to, say, going to go work on your health, you would have no idea what to do. That was a long list of mushy things. Um, yeah, and there was going to be a <laughs> couple with a long list of things that I could have, been, I could have done yeah. uh, to sort of address each of them. Got it. It could be a long list. Yeah. So what, what I found, though, is most people have too many things on their list. Mm -hmm. and Exactly what I said. So yeah. that's why, like, if you say, give me one thing to work on my health, then the challenge comes in, right? right. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge. Yeah. So what I did is, is I, I looked at all the data and we have a lot of data that comes in from people because we're gathering information even about like bone density and inflammation levels and cellular electrical performance and things like that. There's five things that people really care about as their top level and two sort of rounding errors. And, and I structure the book this way. Mm -hmm. One of them is strength. So everyone has heard by now your muscle mass really matters and you need to have enough of it, but probably not too much. And you want to have this over time so that you don't uh, so that you don't age, you don't lose muscle mass uh, with aging. So for some people, that's the goal. I want to get big, okay? Or I want to have junk in my trunk. That's another common one. But for other people, I want cardiovascular. I get tired all the time. I want my I want my lungs to work better. I want to be better at that. Okay. Different goals. In fact, they're opposing goals. You're not going to be good at marathons and be swole. It, it just doesn't work like that. In fact, you'll be less healthy if you run marathons versus get swole. And probably neither one of those is particularly healthy if you have too much muscle mass because your cardiovascular risk goes up, right? Even though you, you're welcome to do either one, I support your ability. I think it's awesome, right? Like you, you choose your biology, you choose your expertise, and you choose the, the risks and rewards of, of however you do tune your system. And, and that's what biohacking is about. And if you want to have three gonads, I support you there. Tell me how you did it, right? <laughs> Seriously, like it's your body. You do anything you want. And what right. tries to stop you is your enemy. And that's fine. <laughs> so now, what do, what do they care about besides cardiovascular muscle. and muscle? They care about, I want my energy back, something you alluded to. And most people are feeling tired right now, more than ever before. So getting energy back, uh, which is the same thing as weight loss. So those actually kind of go together. Because if you're putting electrons into fat and inflammation, you'll have low energy. So the techniques are almost the same for those two. And then the other thing after this, cognitive performance. So in the book, I teach you things that make your brain work better in less time. And at Upgrade Labs, what we do is neurofeedback. We actually train people's brains using a system that I designed with seven patents behind it for, for making your brain work better. And then the final thing after that is stress management. People actually want to be better at, at handling stress. And for the first time in all of recorded history, People are asking for stress management before they ask for weight loss. Mm -hmm. It's always weight loss is at the top, but not anymore because of what the government did to us around the world or governments around the world did to us. Our stress levels went through the roof 
And since they don't care about stressing you out, um, now we're paying for the cause or, or paying the, the cost of that. So once you have those five buckets, well, there's two other areas of interest that aren't primary focuses, but they're worth noting because I call them out of separate sections. One of them is sleep. Mm-hmm. I just can't sleep. And the other one is sex. I actually want to be better at sex or I don't have you know, something's not working right. So those are sort of rounding things that happen. You fix the big five, those other two get fixed automatically. And I structured the book that way, but for each of them, there are hacks. And I say, well, look, this is the way we did it. All of exercise, pick up rocks. You could concentrate the rocks into iron. That's like, that was our big innovation. That's pretty much it. Or run away from tigers. Then that's a spin class or a treadmill, whatever you want to call it. It turns out somehow in the last... 30 years, but very especially in the last five to 10 years, all of this new knowledge has come out. So I go through each of these areas and tell you, look, this works better than the way you think it has to be. And I do it in order from this is free to this is actually inexpensive and and very reachable. And this is what the crazy billionaires do. And for that stuff, maybe you're a crazy billionaire. There's plenty of those who who listen, um, but more likely you're going to go to a facility like an upgrade labs. And I'm, I'm making these. We're rolling dozens of them out across the country as a franchise. Go to Own and Upgrade Labs for that. And uh, the reason I think this really matters is that you can get results at home better than you would have for you know, 50 bucks. Maybe you buy one of the pieces of very simple tech I talk about that just work better per minute than what you're doing today. Or maybe you get a membership somewhere. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you shouldn't have to spend a million dollars the way I did. And I, this book is my revenge for 702 hours of working out in the gym um, that didn't work. And for having been forced to spend more than a million dollars getting my health back and getting to where I am, it should not have cost that much. It's because this knowledge wasn't there or it wasn't equally distributed. So we can make this for everyone. The reason all of that matters is that I know that when we're at our full power, we're actually wired biologically in our meat operating system to be nice to each other. And it's one of the reasons I, I like what you're doing uh, because like you said, the body likes ketones and ketone IQ works. And when you have that extra electrical activity, especially in your neurons in the brain, your ability to self-regulate your emotions goes up. So ketosis in any form for short periods of time in the presence of carbohydrate regular consumption it improves your uh, your personality, your kindness to others. I believe if you're in ketosis forever and you never get out of it, for most people, you start getting other things that makes it harder uh, harder to just maintain that state of peace and kindness. So I'm a huge fan of cycling ketones. I'm a huge fan of having ketones present when I eat carbs, mm-hmm. which I do with Ketone IQ and with NCT oil, and like there's a variety of technologies for that. But this is a, this is the right one. If you're like, I'm just going to have whatever, but I want my ketones up, this works very, very reliably and strongly, but not too strongly. Right. So, but you do that in the context of biohacking. And funny enough, if you're doing that, all the other biohacks get easier because having enough energy means the body can transform and adapt better. And then you can do more. And then when you can do more, you feel more accomplished. And when you can feel more accomplished, you feel better about yourself. And hence, you want other people to get lifted up as well. And therefore, you help other people. You're kinder to other people. That all makes sense. I have to ask this question, though, because I know most of our listeners are endurance athletes. They are, you know, long-distance runners. Most or some? 
Uh, well, that? it used to be uh, mainly endurance. When we came up with ketone ester, yeah. it was mainly uh, performance uh, based. And that was why, even though it was ex- expensive, it tastes bad, yep. we were still selling loads of it because all these endurance athletes were using it because they were seeing oh, sort of benefits for it. But then as we branch out to therapeutic areas, to metabolic health, and people who want to use it on a daily basis, then they're like, uh-oh, hold on a minute. I can't drink this every day. I can't drink this before training yeah. and for race. You have to be a crazy billionaire to be able to do that. Exactly. With the old stuff, but this new stuff is much more affordable. Exactly. So that was why we shifted. So, I mean, we still have a lot of um, people who are following yeah. us and listening to us um, who, are, about that. who are endurance. So my question to you is that in your book, and as you were talking about hit and re-hit, do you um, propose or do you su- recommend sort of long period of time of slower, steadier, sort of low state mm-hmm. cardio, right? Because you didn't mention them. And and I we talked about this on the show with Dr. Louisa Nicola, where she shared a study that shows at least 45, 50 minutes, uh, three times a week of zone two cardio increased mitochondrial biogenesis. What's your comment on that? I actually report on the same studies in the book. It's one of the biohacks for cardiovascular. But my lens is different mm-hmm. than endurance. I want to be like full disclosure here. Yeah. Um, when I was 16 and I was getting really fat, um, I had a specialized mountain bike. It's one of the first ones they ever made. I rode a Cannondale road bike in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Every weekend I would ride 30 to 60 miles to try to lose weight. And I was a roadie. I've done the Turquoise Trail, which is one of the most difficult 75-mile races because of the amount of hills. So I was an endurance athlete. I was a fat-ass endurance athlete, and it didn't work no matter what I ate. I just want to be really about that okay and it feels good and you get endorphins and you can bonk and i've lived on all of that stuff uh, and that feeling of clarity you get when you get the opiates it's it's legit okay so there are reasons to do endurance athletics longevity isn't one of them the primary study there there's one or two pieces i came across in my anti-aging book that showed that extreme endurance might lengthen telomeres but there's a lot easier ways to take less time to lengthen peptides <laughs> for instance that you might want to consider because it's a lot less time to do that so my lens is this the vast majority of human beings do not exercise at all and the reason they don't do it is because of biological laziness which is built into our cells which is fine and they don't do it because the return on investment is shitty on traditional exercise now if you get an opiate high from endurance stuff or you just love it even if it's without the opiates the return on investment is higher for you but you are a rare breed. The vast majority of humans, like I, I am out of shape because I don't have time to. I have a family. I have responsibilities. I have a commute and all this. And those of us, especially without kids who are younger, say bollocks. You know, we we you could make time and yeah, try that when you have a six month old throwing up on your face when you're going to work out. It it actually doesn't work, especially for new parents. So we are squeezed for time by life and. If we had extra time, we might have higher return activities to do. And if for you the highest return is training for an endurance event, go for it, man. I, I love that. Just be fully biohacked when you do it because you'll win. And in the book, like, okay, here's what you do. Step one is rehab training because it takes you five minutes three times a week and your VO2 max goes up by 12% <laughs> in six weeks. <laughs> like, it's nuts, right? Now, the next thing that I recommend doing um, is to do zone two training if you're willing to invest 50 minutes three times a week and you have a heart rate monitor. So you got to spend money and time. 
there's a lot of people, if they had three hours a week, they would choose to meditate because their, their VO2 max was good enough. And now, like, let's, let's assume we're not in a world of unlimited time and resources because we're actually not. Now, if you had a choice between doing zone two training and lifting heavy, even for just a few minutes or using one of the technologies for putting on muscle, I would argue, even from a mitochondrial biogenesis perspective, you should lift heavy before you do zone two training as long as you did your rehit first, right? So we're getting down to what is the path that gives you the highest possible return? And the path is different because your goals and our endurance athlete friends' goals and my goals are different. So I teach people, in fact, there's a survey. It's on daveasprey.com and a survey that's part of coming into Upgrade Labs. What matters to you? Because that totally changes it. And then we have an AI algorithm that guides you to know which of the interventional technologies we have, which ones do you use in what order to get to your goal fastest based on where you are today. Because if I have that endurance athlete come in and he's blown out because he ran a marathon and a triathlon the day before because it was a light day, right? <laughs> and he says, well, today I want to get swole. I'm like, dude, electrically no you're blown out i can see it in your in your dehydration levels your inflammation levels we're putting you on a full recovery protocol because your body actually cannot adapt to more inputs it turns out the aggressive bodybuilders and endurance athletes and guys like me um, entrepreneurs were all the most likely to come in and say give me more when what we needed was the downside of the curve to reset the system so it can take more inputs we're good at throwing stuff at ourselves we're bad at catching it and holding on to it long enough for it to sink in and so that's why i structured the book this way you got to pick your goal i don't think zone two training is worth it for most people until they've done something for muscles <laughs> and probably something for their mitochondria that's the good question. I have yeah. a good answer. Thank you very much. Because you pointed out a really good point, which, um, you know, when you said most of the time is the question is not whether is resistance training better than the zone two cardio or vice versa, is which one do you want to choose if you have limited time in the day? Yeah. And I personally struggle with myself, right? I have an hour and a half to gym, right? Do I want to do the cardio today or do I want to do the resistance training today? So, and then it all falls down to your goals. I've done zone two training at least twice. And I In have, your life. I have at least 40 polar heart monitors because people keep sending them to me and I'm a biohacker. Like I have a box of them at my house. I don't particularly love putting them on and syncing them up with my phone and all that crap. Right. And I actually don't really like cardio and I get plenty of cardio from rehit. Uh, so that that's enough. And I'd rather for mitochondrial biogenesis, I'd rather get in my cryotherapy chamber and do three minutes of that and maybe hop in a sauna. Cause when I'm in the sauna, I can actually be on the phone with someone. Right. And if I turn on the video settings, I make a lot of money on OnlyFans. And so no. <laughs> <laughs> that was sneakily snuck in. That was but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, like he's got a point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, but I'm probably really on, on with my team. And it, it's one of those things where it's okay to just honor, you know what? I, my body, my operating system, it didn't want to do that. And it's also okay to say, you know what? For my goals and my metabolism, this is necessary. So I am going to do it. I'm going to do it religiously. I, I did that. That's my 702 hours in the gym. I just did shit that didn't work. Right? 
And maybe it actually did work because I could max out the machines. It, I'm sure I was better off for having done it than not having done it. But I was overtrained and it didn't it, it didn't work. What I should have done was a very, very different course. If I could have gone back, and I write about this in the book, and I'd have understood these five domains, I would say, well, my real goal is to get my energy back, not to get swole. I just figured, like, healthy. So if I lift, lift weights and run, I'll be healthy, right? But that's what most people think. Yeah. And your audience with endurance athletes, I, I love endurance athletes, and I, I've, I've done specific podcasts for them using biohacking techniques, and I think there's a great argument for starting out um, with ketones and starting out actually with baking soda and amino acids. And one of the things you can do that's, that's remarkable is you can raise ketones even in the presence of L-glutamine, which is a very powerful exercise thing, but L-glutamine will pull you out of ketosis faster than anyone's business unless you have ketone IQ. So if you were to take baking soda and ketone IQ and L-glutamine and D-ribose and go to the starting line, just try it. <laughs> like, that really works. But then halfway through the race, yes, you take another ketone IQ and you take maltodextrin or just straight up glucose, whatever way you like, that'll bring it in. And probably a little bit of chromium and vanadium and of course electrolytes the entire time through with lots of sodium and watch what happens to your times. So you'll absolutely destroy. And I first came up with that protocol without the ketone IQ because it didn't exist in 1999 for a semi-pro cyclist I worked with. And he comes back the next day, he's like, Dave, I got my best time ever and my heart rate was 20 beats a minute lower. Like, what did you put in my stuff? Oh, there was citrulline in there too. You might want to try that. Okay, guys, for you guys who are listening, <laughs> please do try this protocol. Come back, comment on, you know, what your results are. If you find anything, you know, useful or if you are thrilled with it, yeah. please let us know. So, so I just like, like I am a I love endurance stuff because it's a hack and your acid levels go up and you take, you take the baking soda to deal with that. And, and, a lot of this for me came from high altitude mountaineering, which is a similar thing. It, it's not the same level of intensity, but the, the biological things that you can do to feel good at altitude are, are pretty incredible. There's other mitochondrial stimulators you can put in there that will further improve it. So you can hack that stuff. In fact, I would argue if you don't hack that stuff, you're much more likely to be damaged by long-term endurance. But if you hack it properly, then you're better off. So I don't go into that level of detail here. I do talk about two big things that endurance athletes and everyone else needs uh, in the book. And these are things that are missing from even a lot of the world of biohacking, despite uh, my, my best efforts. And these are supplements that we all need to be taking because every biohack and every training thing and everything just works more easily. They reduce friction. One of them is we're all mineral deficient because food doesn't have minerals anymore because the soil doesn't have minerals anymore because Animals aren't pooping on the soil. We broke the sacred cycle of animals. Poop makes soil. Healthy soil makes healthy plants. Eat healthy plants uh, and eat animals that eat healthy plants. We took the animals out of that, and that's, that's broken it. So now those things you eat just don't have minerals. And if they do, it doesn't matter because you're eating plants. And plants, and here I write about it, plants are sucking specific minerals out of your body via different pathways. It's how they protect themselves. So... If you can assume that your food doesn't have enough minerals and you're losing more minerals because you're eating more plants than we used to, then you're mineral deficient. And if you're mineral deficient, you cannot make ATP as well. Mm -hmm. You cannot fold proteins as well. You cannot adapt as well. And since what I'm teaching you to do is get a signal and to cause adaptation, how about we all take our macro minerals and then what's even worse now is trace and ultra trace minerals. 
that's why Danger Coffee, my new coffee brand, the coffee has a, a therapeutic dose, a large dose of trace minerals in it. So when you brew the coffee, it affects how the coffee enters the body. But these are so, these are minerals in a very specific form that can enter your cells, and it includes electrolytes and ionic trace minerals. So when you brew the coffee, you're getting your dose of these, and your body's like, why does this coffee feel so good? It's because your body needed the minerals, and that improves your performance, and actually in very noticeable ways. So that's one way of getting them. You take pills and mm -hmm. electrolytes. So anyone listening, you need to load up on these. And if you're using uh, ketones regularly, your demand for minerals actually goes up, especially salt. So you should be using more salt, which I'm certainly not afraid of. I love sea salt. Yeah. So, so this is important. And the second thing is vitamin DAKE, which is D-A-K-N-E. And this is a formula I put together for Upgrade Labs. But if you take minerals without fat-soluble vitamins, and specifically those four, those control where minerals go in the body and how they stay there. So if you take vitamin D without vitamin K2, Geez, haven't you been listening for the last 10 years when I've been talking about that? K2 will stop vitamin D from calcifying your tissues. You really need to do that. But vitamin A also works in partnership with vitamin D to keep the right minerals where they need to go. And vitamin E rounds that off. Vitamin E has to do with zinc getting into the right cells as well. So when you put all these together, you get DAKE, which is uh, terribly, terribly important. So if you just took two vitamins and nothing else, don't take a fancy nootropic, <laughs> even though I'm a huge fan of those. Yeah actually take minerals trace minerals and vitamin dake and you can do it with dangercoffee.com or you can do it without that i go. i don't care just just take them you'll be better at everything you do there you go tips from dave here so i want to respect your time i know you have to go somewhere okay. soon um one last question to wrap this all up where do you think is the direction the future direction of biohacking where is this going and let's wrap that up i love it so the definition of biohacking is change the environment around you and inside of you so you have full control of your own biology. And there are, I think in my book before the last, I, I, I talked about all these different areas. There's an area of light hacking that's getting really, really powerful. And, and I go in the book about some of the future of this, and I talk about that, I think, in the last chapter. And there's two things that are going to happen. One is we're going to start using AI to get targeted signals in at all these different levels of biohacks, exactly the right amount of cold for you, exactly the right amount of this kind of light for you, for this outcome. So personalization is happening. Uh, and then AI is making a huge difference. The biggest thing, though, is the spiritual side of our existence is becoming more and more apparent to a lot of people. There are hard paths of spiritual progress, and there are easy paths of spiritual progress. Even Buddhism, they recognize a fast path, a medium path, and a slow path. So we are using biohacking for spiritual states. That's what my 40 years of Zen neurofeedback company does. It uh, basically high-end entrepreneurs and celebrities and high-end athletes come there and they edit their own brain and you have a spiritual experience when you do that. So we are now getting to the point where we can say this breathing technique, this meditation technique, this neurofeedback, this brain tap session is going to allow you to access states that were previously like locked levels of a and this is a part of biohacking, and it's a massively important one, and it's the most fun one, and that's why I'm bringing neurofeedback into Upgrade Labs as a part of the strategy. It's time for everyone to have access to these new levels. There you go. Personalized biohacking as well as the role of AI in the future of biohacking. Um, 
Thank you so much for taking your, you know, taking time from your busy schedule to join us today. Uh, if my our listeners want to learn more about you, uh, guys, the book is called Smarter, Not Harder. Where can they find you? Otherwise, you can find me at daveasprey.com. And I would just ask you right now, if you find my work has helped you over the years, if you would do me the favor of ordering the book now, so that other people can find it, I would be very grateful. So thank you in advance. There you go. If you guys enjoy this episode, uh, leave us a, a review. And if you guys have any follow-up questions or even you know try out the protocol, give us any feedback, please uh, write comment on uh, our episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time.